No, that's fine. Oh, praise God. I was about to let, um, I was about to let the uh, time slip up on me here. Praise God. Wow, all right, so um, it is uh, time to get started again. Um, man, I wish everybody watching online was with us right now. We're having a good time in the room just, uh, I don't know, talking about good things and, and the goodness of God and family and, and just what's happening in our lives, and so we're thankful. Amen. Thankful, thankful, thankful. So welcome. I'm glad you're here tonight, and um, can you believe it's class 24? Um, what is this? Somebody do the math for me. 24 out of 36, that's two-thirds, right? So, Wow. Um, anyway, we're, we're moving right along, and um, Sister Julie and I were talking, I don't know, a couple of three weeks ago about this class, and I told her, I said, you know, the, the, the last 12 to me um, are among the most Im important, because we're hopefully tonight, if not tonight, definitely by next week, we will uh, finish up our What is Man with the three-dimensional teaching, and then once we lay the groundwork for spirit, soul, and body, man's three-dimensional being, uh, we will use that understanding of spirit, soul, and body to really help you understand what happened to you the day you got saved, okay? And there are a lot of people who've been born again who have no idea what happened to them when they were. And because we don't understand those things and we don't really know or connect with salvation or the new birth as a literal experience, um, it makes it easy for the devil to steal from us what uh, belongs to us as, as God's sons and daughters. So I'm really, really excited uh, about this, uh, these final 12 classes, and I'm glad uh, that you guys and gals have hung in here uh, for it, both online, amen, I'm talking to those online as well as um, in the room. Um, <clears throat> amen. I just almost want to just tear off into that right now, but praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your great love for us, thank you for this time together. Um, Lord, there's just something about there's just something about a group of people who give you place in their lives, Father, who who make time uh, for you, who give themselves uh, to you, Lord, uh, to hear from you, to receive from you, to be taught by your Holy Spirit, to receive from your Holy Word. Um, and and Lord, we see that our ability to to understand and see spiritual truth is directly connected to our willingness, Father, and our diligence uh, towards that truth. And so thank you tonight for imparting your understanding, your truth, and your wisdom, and the life and peace that comes along with being spiritually minded man or woman. Thank you, Father, for just all the good things that we have to, to celebrate for and, and, and to, to be thankful for. And um, help us now uh, bring our hearts to attention, hear, receive, and understand your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so um, I'm going to try to cut way back on the review tonight because we left off last week talking about the power of our words, the power of our words. And these different characteristics that we've been talking about now uh, for what this will be the fifth class. Uh, I told you <laughs> what, however many classes ago that if, if we don't watch it, because there's so much in the Bible about these things that we could spend the rest of our time literally, we could spend the next 10 weeks talking about this and not cover it all. It's just you know what all the Bible has to say about our thoughts and the power of our thinking, all that the Word of God has to say about what we agree with, what we agree to, our faith and what we believe. You know our emotions, our ability to experience and express emotions, and then how all that culminates in in the words that we speak. Um, 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that what's in a man or woman's heart in abundance will come out of their mouth. So if, if you want to know what someone else is thinking, just listen to, to them, right? If you, if you, when I say what they're thinking, it's more than that. It's what's in their heart in abundance will come out of their mouth, not because we're trying to judge or, or snoop. It's not, it's not so much that. But as, um, as a minister, remember way, way back where we said every one of God's people have been called to do the work of the ministry and this ministry of reconciliation. And a, a minister of reconciliation is someone who helps bring people into agreement with God and His plans and purposes for their life. And if you listen to someone talk long enough, you, you can find out, number one, where they are, and number two, how to help them bring those things into agreement, into alignment. So... When he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, tonight we're going to talk about uh, a little more in detail about the power of our words. And it is a true statement that if you want to change your life, you have to change what you say. There are people who hear that, though, and they go, okay, well, I'll just start saying this six times a day and my life will change. It's, it's, a, it's a package deal. You know what I mean by that? In other words, what you speak is going to, uh, is connected to your emotions, and your emotions are connected to how you think and what you believe and what you've agreed with. So, you know, a better life begins with better thinking, which gives us a better foundation to make right agreements, and then faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, which helps us in our uh, emotional, uh, you know, overcoming dominant negative emotions, experiencing the peace of God, the, 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 the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And so all of this now, see, coming together as, as a package, um, when we speak with our hearts full of truth and our hearts full of joy and our hearts full of peace, then we see that our words carry much weight and uh, make uh, major change in our lives. Amen. All right, so just quick review. We said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, which is a verse we will come back to uh, in the days ahead, but now I say that the heir, as long as, he, as, long as he's a child, differs nothing uh, at all from a slave, though he is master of all. And when I say we come back to this, you'll never understand this verse unless you understand that you're a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. So how could you be Lord of all and live like a slave at the same time? You know, our human logic says it has to be one or the other. It can't be, it can't be both simultaneously. And yet, according to the Word of God, it absolutely can be and is both simultaneously. In the same way, Hebrews ten fourteen says that He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. How can you be perfected forever and at the same time still being sanctified? Uh, it's either got to be one or the other. But He's literally saying that you're a perfect work in progress. So spirit, soul, and body is the only way you'll ever understand these things. And it, your spirit, the real you, has been perfected forever. Your mind, that, that part of you that thinks, and then your soul, ultimately, the part of you that thinks, feels, and makes choices, that part is a work in progress. And, and then how that influences and affects our behavior and life reality, again, a work in progress. But he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And the heir as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he or she be Lord of all. So there's a lot we'll come back and tie together, but for the sake of this evening's review and teaching, 
A child is one who is ignorant, immature, and unable to speak on his or her own behalf. So growing and maturing and developing in the things of God is, is more than just, uh, you know, becoming a better person. Obviously, we want to be a better person. We want to reflect the righteousness in our life reality that we've already been made inwardly, the freedom in our life reality that we've already been made inwardly in our inner person. But notice that our ability to, to mature and develop and grow and, and go from one who is an heir that lives like a slave to one who is an heir who lives like someone who is a prince or princess ruling and reigning in life is dependent upon our ability to, to learn how to use words uh, in, in the right way, in a positive way, in an effective way. Amen. Now, let me just show you a little bit of this. And when I, There are so many different ways that we could, we could go from here with this teaching, but... I call this portion of Scripture the greatest faith lesson ever taught, okay? And there are reasons why I say it's the greatest faith lesson ever taught. Number one, it's because it was an object lesson. It was something Jesus demonstrated. But in the moment of demonstration, He broke faith down to its most simple and basic form. And what we see is that as they were going into the city, they passed a fig tree and Jesus cursed it, okay? When I say cursed it, he didn't use foul language. He just said, let no man eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples were kind of witnessing this, like, you know, what's up with this, you know? Well, the next day when they walked by, the tree had withered up from the roots, and Jesus would have just walked right on past it. But when the disciples saw it, they're like, Master, check it out, you know, because he had their attention. And when he had their attention, let's see what happens here in Mark uh, chapter... Uh, 11, beginning at verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. So notice now that he's got their attention. They're standing here in, in amazement at what they've witnessed, at what, at what has happened. Jesus is wanting to, you know, what, you ever heard the expression, strike while the iron's hot? You ever heard that one, right? So in other words, that's a blacksmithing term. You've got to get the iron hot. Then when it's hot, you strike it and it shapes it. So the iron is hot. I mean, they're like fascinated. They, he has their attention, right? They are amazed. And so while the iron is hot, Jesus says to them, have faith in God. In other words, what, what you are witnessing has been produced by faith in God. And this is something that you and I can have. So now notice what he says here, verse 23, for assuredly. Now, I know the temptation is to just to keep reading here, but let's just stop it assuredly. In the New King James Version, we find assuredly or some version of assuredly. In other translations, it may be verily, verily. And anytime you hear Jesus begin, or for that matter, anybody, but especially Jesus, when Jesus begins a statement with assuredly or most assuredly, what he's saying to you and me is brace yourself because I'm about to introduce a concept of truth to you that is going to potentially overwhelm you. He's saying assuredly, in other words, this isn't going to seem possible or true, but I'm telling you it is not only possible, it is absolutely true. Right. So he begins this statement again, greatest faith lesson ever taught. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says, whoever says 
to this mountain. So he's gone from a tree to a mountain now. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. This is Jesus talking now. <laughs> Amen. This is Jesus talking. All right, now we're, we're moving on up into some advanced uh, teaching here in the scriptures. When I say advanced, advanced for a lot of people's understanding and wh where they're willing to go, all right? But, you know, Jesus never took a don't try this at home approach to miracles. And instead, what did he do? He would perform a miracle and then draw other people into doing it the next time. Never do you see Jesus saying, look, guys, this is for me. You, got, you back off here. No. He sent the 12 and then the 70 out to cast out demons, to heal the sick, right, to lay hands on the sick, all of these things. He, he is welcoming us in, inviting us into an example, training us and teaching us how to operate in and live in the supernatural. Now, again, you don't hear this talked about enough in the church today. And no wonder we're not seeing very many supernatural things happen in the church today. So Jesus is saying that this example, because what did they do? They saw him speak to the tree. It didn't seem like anything happened when he first spoke to it. But then they come back the next day and we see that something absolutely did happen to the tree and it had withered up from the roots. And so they're in awe, have faith in God. And then he says that, Surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, in light of these things, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, it just so happens that there's a portion of this passage that I've been teaching on and have worked into a pretty large sermon series on Wednesday nights. And we'll actually be back there tonight. So I have to be careful here. I'll go for the rest of our time together just on this one verse, and I'm not going to do that. But... One of the things that we see here that's so critically important, and unfortunately it is, it is easily missed in the New King James translation of this passage and the King James translation of this passage, is what Jesus is actually saying is this in verse 24. He's summing it up in verse 24. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, so whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. The literal translation of this is believe you already receive them. Believe you've already received them. Believe that you have them. That's another way that it's uh, translated. Believe that you've already received them and you will have them. So he's giving us an instruction, have faith in God. But then he's also showing us how faith in God actually works. And true faith in God is believing you've already received when you pray, even though there's no evidence that anything is any different than it was before you prayed. He spoke to the tree. It seemed like nothing happened. It looked like nothing happened. It felt like nothing happened. But when Jesus released his faith through spoken words, we see that the substance of faith went to the root of that tree and began to destroy that tree. Jesus walked on in confidence, came back the next morning, and the tree was withered up from the roots. And he says to you and me, this is not just for Jesus to do, right? He didn't say, this is for me only, guys, so y'all don't try this at home. No, he's saying, whoever says and doesn't doubt in his heart will have whatsoever he says. Now, I want to go back through this, and I'm going to, not to be annoying, but I want to try to 
use inflection in my voice, and I think you'll see what I'm trying to emphasize, okay? For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those but believes that those things he says, there it is again, will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, which is, again, verbalizing when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So do you see how Jesus is emphasizing saying here? Saying, what you say, what you say. Now, I want to give you uh, another uh, instance where Jesus reinforced this. And we see it in Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, so there it is again, Assuredly, I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here, and it will move, And nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. So, we've got to make sure we connect the action of faith, I'm sorry, the the operation of faith with the action of speaking. We see this pattern throughout Scripture. Even when we receive salvation, the Bible says that you believe in your heart and then you what? You confess with your mouth. And we looked at this last week, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. You received Him by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And so now, as we walk in all of the new birth realities, all of the things that became true about us the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus, how do we walk those things out? How do we walk out our righteousness? How do we walk out our freedom? A lot of people are trying to walk out their righteousness by producing it themselves. It'll never work. Listen to me, please. You cannot make yourself right before God in the eyes of God. The only way any human being will ever be right before God in the eyes of God is if we receive by faith, humbly receive by faith, the gift of righteousness. And through the new birth, being born a second time of a different seed, we became righteous. We became right before God in the eyes of God. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became your sin so that you could become His righteousness. You have been made right before God in the eyes of God. But how do we walk that out, right? The same way we received it, believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. So, listen, I'm I'm all about speaking to mountains. I'm all about speaking to to, to trees and and obstacles in our way, releasing faith. All All that's great. I'm not trying to minimize that or diminish that. But also understand that a lot of the folks who are listening to me right now Aren't, aren't there yet, so to speak, at least in their thinking or in their understanding of, of what God has in store for them and what they're capable of, of doing and accomplishing. But, but how about this, right? Does faith say, I'll believe it when I see it? See, that's, that is a one-dimensional approach to receiving from God that involves visual confirmation. In other words, when, when, when you receive something physically or naturally, you know, you don't believe you actually have it until you hold it in your hand. But the Bible's very clear. If, if we immediately received everything we asked from God, there would be no need for faith. Because we ask, we have it, okay, there it is, next, next thing, next up, right? But he says if you believe when you pray that you've already received, then you will have, you will experience in your life reality whatever it is that you, that you ask. Okay, so righteousness by faith. Man, I'm way ahead of myself. Somebody's pulling this out of me right now. So righteousness by faith. 
I, the Bible's clear. We're going to look at the verses. The day you were born again, you became just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus himself. And Jesus' righteousness is not that of a forgiven sinner. Jesus' righteousness is that of one who lived 33 years on this earth and never sinned. So when Father looks at you as one who has received, one who has been given the same right standing with him as Jesus, as a gift, one who has been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, this means that when Father looks at you, he doesn't see you as a forgiven sinner. He sees you as one who's never sinned. That's, that's how Father sees you, right? Agree with God and agree with him quickly. Come on now. Agree with God and agree. This is what he says. Remember now, it's like, okay, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Um, the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he be as righteous as Jesus ever has been or ever will be. Right? So if you wait to believe you are free and righteous and blessed and healed and whole, if you wait to believe these things are true about you until you see them in your life reality, right? How many drug tests you got to pass before you believe you're free? You see what I'm saying? I mean, again, how, how, how long do you have to do good before you believe you're right? How much money do you have to have before you believe you're blessed and you're rich? See, it has nothing to do with what's going on in your flesh. It has to do with what you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? So now what if we were to believe in our heart that we're righteous and begin to confess out of our mouths that we're righteous? <laughs> Bringing our thoughts into alignment with the Word of God. This is going to release the righteousness that we've already been made into our daily walk, into our life reality. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, let the redeemed of the Lord say, let the redeemed of the Lord say, so. That's what the Bible says. Let the redeemed say, so. That doesn't mean go and run, so, 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 No. <laughs> Let the redeemed say, I'm redeemed. Oh, sweet Jesus. All right. So move from here and nothing then will be impossible for you. So let's, let's take it up a notch. Can we all stretch ourselves a little bit tonight? And let's, let's take it up a notch. And, and what if we were to consider growth in a different light? What if growth is when you stop telling God what your problem said and start telling your problem what God said? Do us how many people... Do you know how many people simply repeat to God the same questions their problems ask them and call that prayer? You got a bill that's overdue. You don't have the money to pay it. And that bill's just sitting there. How are you going to pay me? They're fixing to come shut this thing off. They're fixing to come repossess. How are you going? What are you going to do? And so then we, we go to pray to God about it. And we say, God, how am I going to pay it? What, what am I going to do? In other words, we just simply repeat to God the, prob the same questions our problems ask us. That is not what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus taught us to speak the answer directly to the problem and called it prayer. Amen? Amen? So growth then is when you stop telling God what your problem said and you start telling your problem what God said. Amen? How about this? Romans chapter 8 verse 31. One of my favorite sections of scripture and all the word of God. Okay? And it's a list of questions and answers. But the first one is this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? But don't miss the first part of this verse. We, we tend to go straight to the, if God be for me, who can be against me? 
And man, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to go to. But notice he's saying, what then shall we say to these things? Let me try to say it. Let me try to present it to you a little differently, okay? How are you going to respond to the things that you're facing? How are you going to respond to the things that you're dealing with? How are you going to respond to the obstacles or to the roadblocks or to the issues of the problems that you're dealing with in your life? Because what we say, not just about these things, that's not what he said. He didn't say, what are you going to say about it? Did he? He, what are you going to say to it? What are you going to say? I'm about to get so excited up in here. I'm, I feel a preaching fit coming on me. What, what are you going to say to these things? What are you saying to the situations? What are you saying to the devils and demons trying to torment you? What are you saying to the dominant negative emotions trying to torment you? What are you saying to the debt? What are you saying to the symptoms? What are you saying to these things? Do you know Jesus spoke to a fever? And not only did the fever hear him, it obeyed him. I mean, I'm praying for an aha moment right there. He spoke to the fever and told the fever to leave. And it left. Keith Moore asked this question. He said, do fevers have ears? How do, how do fevers hear? I guess the same way fig trees hear, right? Do you understand that everything that God created... In this natural realm, he created with words. This is a word-based world. This, this world was created with words, and this world will respond to words. Now, see, I, this is, and I start getting about to this place right here. This is when I, you know, I start thinking, you know, some folks are thinking this is, this is like some kind of, you know, DVD series on late night television. We're trying to sell you for three easy payments of $39.99 or something like that. You know, some kind of mind over matter, humanism, garbage, mumbo jumbo. No, no, this is the word of God. This is the word of God. I was, I don't make anybody uncomfortable because I have no idea who it was. Okay. But um, I was in the women's center. Um, let's see, when was it? Tuesday morning. And um, <clears throat> so y'all may want to know this. All right. The, um, some of those rooms, the walls are very thin. So whatever you're saying in the other room, people, amen. But it was all good. It was all good. But I heard somebody say in the other room, they said, Pastor Mark said, God, resist the prideful. And I thought, well, she was listening during class. Okay. She was listening during class. But I didn't want to embarrass her, whoever it was, because I don't know who you were. Okay. Maybe you're not in this room or listening right now. Okay. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to holler out this. Are you ready? Not being a smart aleck. I want to holler out this. No, Pastor Mark didn't say that. God said that. There's a big difference, right? Pastor, I mean, I, I, I said it, but, I, but God said it, right? I'm just telling you what he said. Amen? Are you following me? Okay, so I'm telling, you what the, I'm telling you what the Bible says. This may seem very odd to you. It may seem very strange to you. It may seem very foreign or different or, or you know, even crazy to you. But again, th this is what God says about how he created you to operate and function and, and even, you know, move mountains and obstacles. So what, do you, what will you say to these things? And I'm asking you to pay attention to what you say to things. See, th th this, is, this is the part that, again, 
you know, when we talk about speaking the answer to a problem, when we start talk about speaking a blessing uh, to some problem or some issue in, in our lives, people look at that and think you've lost your mind. But we curse. We curse and speak negativity to situations and problems and things all the time. Anybody ever called a car stupid? <laughs> stupid car will never crank. Well, see, no, we have no problem cursing the thing. We have no problem calling it names. We have no problem talking about how sorry it is and how worthless it is and how it always fails me when I need it the most and thing will never crank. We think all that's fine and dandy, right? That's natural. Well, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Everybody does that. But then Jesus comes along and says, what will you say to these things? But see, now we're going to call it blessed. Now all of a sudden we're going to say over our children, not that they're a bunch of lazy, uh, uh, you know, social media absorbed, whatever. What if we started saying over our children, my children are taught of the Lord and great's the peace of my children. That's what God says in His Word about your, about your kids. Do you follow what I'm saying? What if, what if we were to take, because remember we said that these things are very powerful. They're dynamic. They're, they're underlying causes of change. So what if we begin to strategically develop specific things that we say over the different problems and issues and challenges that we have in our lives? See, God said you can have whatever you say. Now, I'm going to say this a couple of times so you make sure you get it right. God said that you can have whatever you say, but see, we won't quit saying what we have. He says you can have what you say, but you won't quit saying what you have. He says you can have what you say, but you won't quit saying what you have. Do you understand what I'm saying there? We keep saying what we have. We keep saying what we have. We keep saying what we have. God says you can have what you say, but if we keep saying what we have, guess what we're going to keep getting? More of what we have. All right. You still with me? Okay. So Isaiah 51 and 16. Anybody remember this verse? We spent uh, almost a whole class uh, springboarding off this verse. God says, I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. So God wants to put his words, his words in your mouth. Come on now. Do you see this? His words in your mouth. His words in your mouth. Guess who else wants to put his words in your mouth? The devil wants to put his words in your mouth. How does he do that? By putting his thoughts in your head. Because he knows if he can consistently put his thoughts in your head, he will eventually get his words coming out of your mouth. Wow. Right? See, again, not picking on anybody that maybe let something slip before class, all right? But why do we, everything's killing us. My feet are killing me. I'm this pies to die for. Why, are we, why has death made its way into so much of what comes out of our mouth? Amen. Right? And, and you say, well, you know, uh, Pastor Mark, I mean, it's just something that we say. Well, if it's just something that we say, why don't we talk about things that are blessing us? And, 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 you know, when have we ever said, man, that pie made me so alive, I've never felt more alive when I ate that pie. <laughs> but no, we don't say that, right? We say it's to die for. Right? Yeah. Right? We can't remember something. It's like, man, it's driving me crazy because I can't remember that, Right? By the way, the devil wants you to confess over yourself that you're being driven crazy, right? Drive me crazy. Drive, she drives me crazy. He drives me crazy. That drives me. He just, everything drives you crazy, right? 
She said, well, that's just something we say. Well, then wh why don't we ever say, that drives me sane? Do you see? Why, if, it's, if it's just something we say, then why is, it, why is it always just something we say negative? Right? Are you seeing this? It's not a neutral world, is it? Anybody heard Pastor Mark teach on that before? We didn't wake up in a neutral world this morning. We woke up in a world that's pulling away from God. And if we don't do something to deliberately, intentionally renew our minds, set our minds, set our thoughts, put a watch over the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth, and be careful as, as to what we say, be deliberate and intentional to what we think about and set our minds on, be deliberate and intentional to what we confess, next thing you know, the world will so work its way into our thinking and the way we, that we, we speak that we'll be talking and saying the same thing that they're saying. Hallelujah. So God wants to put His words in your mouth. And remember what we said when we taught on the three heavens. Okay? That it's one thing for God in the third heaven to speak His word down to you, but it's another thing when we here upon the earth receive His word and speak it back. Because it's only when the word comes down and is returned back that it releases the accomplishing, prospering power that resides within it. In the same way, the rain comes down and returns back and causes the earth to bring forth in bud, giving bread to the eater. I'm sorry, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. So he wants to put his words in your mouth so that he can then cover you with the shadow of his hands and then you from the earth side plant the heavens with the word of God. Right? Plant the heavens with the word of God. Lay the foundations of the earth because the foundations of the earth are out of course according to the scriptures. And then say, design, you're my people. Where we're actually calling God's people into the kingdom, into his family. Words are all... Very key, very influential in this. If we were to all get on an airplane today and fly to some remote region of the world to win a group of people to Jesus that have uh, never uh, heard the name of Jesus a single time, right? You know, I know it's popular and I understand it and I'm not, I'm not dissing it. I'm not completely doing away with it like I do some of these Christian cliches, okay? But this whole idea of I'm just going to let the way I live speak for itself, my friend, that is not what Jesus taught us. We have to open up our mouths and present to people the message of the gospel. We have to open up our mouths and say to people, there was a man named Jesus. He was the eternal son of God. He chose to become a son of man. And as a son of man, he lived a sinless life when you could not live one. He took the blame and the punishment for your sin. And he nailed it to a cross. He died in your place. He went to a devil's hell. But he rose again three days later with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He was seen by many witnesses for more than 40 days and then after 40 days he ascended to the right hand of the father and after he ascended an angel appeared to those witnesses and said to them why are you standing here staring up at the sky in the same manner that Jesus left he will one day return that's the gospel message in a nutshell and Romans 1 says the power of God resides in that message unto salvation and it has to be spoken how can they hear without a preacher? How can they believe on Him of whom they've never heard? How can they hear if nobody tells them? How can, how can they be told if no one is sent to them to tell them? Right, all this Romans 10. How can those who go to tell go unless they're sent? Not every person in this room will go, but every person in this room is called to help send those who do go. Are you seeing this? But not just so they can go and live a Christian life in front of them and hope. No, tell them. Open up your mouth and, well, you know, they don't want to hear it. You're prejudging. 
You're prejudging, number one, how they're going to receive it. It's not your right, it's not your right to decide whether or not they will say yes or no to Jesus. It's your responsibility to tell them the story. But there's power in the story. That's what we see. It's Brother Odell, who's won millions and millions of people, him and his wife, around the world. He says it. He says it's not the messenger, it's the message. Right? We gotta speak the message. Got to tell people. Think about, think about your own salvation experience. I mean, you sit here, it's like, well, yeah, I'm this guy who lived 2,000 plus years ago, and, you know, he was a good guy, and he died, and because he died, you don't have to die. It's like, you know, if you look at it just with human logic, human reasoning, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but there's power in the story, right? What we're, what we're discounting is that no man calls him Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. And so when we present the message to people, they hear the message, Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But the message has to be heard. In order for it to be heard, it has to be spoken. All right. Turn with me to James chapter 3, please. James chapter 3 um, and verses 2 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. you get anything out of this tonight? Yes. The power of words, the power of words, the power of words. What are you going to say to these things? What are you going to say to these things? If there's something in your life that you need to change what you're saying, not just about it. Now listen, that's how the devil, he, you know, we should talk about the problem. Well, talking about it's one thing, speaking to it is another. I, I kind of use this as, as an example. And, and um, you know, I think we've all either experienced this or at least can, can uh, visualize, you know, let's say a mean, you're out walking in your neighborhood and, um, and, a, and a mean dog comes, you know, to the edge of the road, rah, 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 you know, okay. Well, and we can either turn around and take off running, but that's, I don't recommend that, okay. But hopefully, instinctively, you're going to get aggressive at that dog, stomp your foot, and you're going to speak to it. Am I right about this? You're going to speak to it. You're going to get I mean, you, you're going to have some, uh, you know, some intensity, some zeal, some passion behind it, right? You're probably not going to go, um, I'd like to talk to you for a minute about that dog. No, no, we're going to speak to the dog. Are you with? Speak to the dog. Okay, all right. So if you have that imagery then, as, as the Holy Spirit begins to show you, where devils and demons, demonic spirits are involved in situations and issues in your life, okay? We need to have that same aggressive tendency to speak to them. I bind you in Jesus' name. Bind you in Jesus' name. How about this one? Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. Right? Wow. Jesus wasn't speaking to Peter. He was speaking to the, to the demonic influence that was trying to plant thoughts of not going through with his full assignment. Remember what, remember what the whole issue was about. Jesus begins to introduce to them that he's going to have to die. And Peter's like, oh no, we'll have none of that talk, Jesus. He, he's rebuking Jesus. He's correcting Jesus. Well, that, what in the world was he thinking, okay? If you hadn't figured this out by now, as you walk with the Lord, there's going to be a whole lot of correction, Okay, but it's all one-sided, okay? It's always him correcting you and me, never me and you correcting him. Amen? Okay, all right. Okay, now then, James, thank God for his correction, amen? Because he loves us. He's not trying to hurt you, he's trying to help you. 
And he loves you enough to correct you. All right. So now, let's, let's dig into this. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Now, let's talk about perfect for a moment. Perfect man doesn't mean what maybe a lot of you think it means. It, and we think perfect as in something without any flaw or something that, that's, that you know, is without any uh, error or issue. Perfect here is the Greek word teleos, and it means mature. It means fully developed. Anybody remember the, the heir who lives like a slave, though he's lord of all because he's a child, and a child is ignorant, immature, unable to speak on his own behalf? All right, so we see the tie-in here from those scriptures. So he says, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Okay, now, I'm sure nobody in this room, but perhaps you know somebody or will one day minister to somebody who may struggle with some area of self-control. <laughs> Again, none of us, never, right? Said the guy who slammed two Pop-Tarts before class today. I don't, what in the world was I thinking, man? But anyway, praise, praise God. Confess your faults one to another. Amen. <sighs> praise God. Self-control. Self-control involves more than willpower. Brother Donald said something the other day that really, I mean, I've never heard it expressed this way. He said, the problem with willpower is there's no rest. And Jesus came to give us rest, right? Willpower is just hang on, hang on, keep hanging on, hang on harder, hang on more. Keep well, see, eventually you, you're going to get tired, right? There's no rest in, in willpower. Willpower is important, but it's not the final answer. Okay? So he says that if you can learn to bridle the tongue... It will be instrumental in you bridling your whole body. Your whole being can. <laughs> now, that's pretty. That's a, you talk about basic life understanding that's needed to solve advanced life problems. That's some pretty important basic life understanding right there, is it not? Yes. That the key to bridling or controlling or directing the whole body is found in bridling the tongue, or what we say. And so he goes on. He says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Right? He says in verse 4, Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, pressure on the outside acting against them. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a matter, I'm sorry, see how great a forest, King James Version says matter. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Now, if we get there tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But let me mention it now in case we don't, okay? Anybody remember what set upon the heads of all those who were initially baptized in the Holy Spirit? Fire. A tongue of fire. A tongue of fire. 
Now listen, if, if I was on the committee to, because um, this is a big deal, right? I mean, this, this is like a prophecy many generations, uh, you know, in fulfilling. And so now God's Spirit is long last poured out on the earth. I don't know about a cloven tongue of fire. I'm not, would, would that be your first uh, emblem? Would that be, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be silly here. I'm just trying to make a point, right? In other words, so the question then is, obviously God is way smarter than us. Why in the world was a cloven tongue of fire the symbol that rested upon the heads of everyone who was initially baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's because for many generations since Adam, men's and women's tongues had been set on fire with the fires of hell. And now, finally, we've got tongues set on fire with the fires of heaven. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Very, very, very important. All right, now let me get back to this. Praise God. We'll hopefully have more time for that in just a minute. So, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. All right, let's, um, let's try to work our way through this real quick. We could spend a lot of time here, but I want to make sure you see some key things. He gives us three comparisons. A bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on the bottom of a ship, and a little fire that sets on fire the course of nature. Okay? And he says that the tongue is to be compared to and therefore understood better by looking at these three different um, Examples, okay? Now, let's start with the bit in the horse's mouth. We see, first of all, that it's something very small in comparison to the size and strength of the horse. It goes into the mouth of the horse, but the rider then is able to direct the course of the horse by gently applying pressure to either side of the bit in the horse's mouth. Are you, are you following? So if the rider wants the horse to go to the right, then uh, he or she will pull gently on the right-hand rein, which will put a little bit of pressure on the mouth of the horse, and the horse will turn his head to try and relieve that pressure. And as he turns his head, his body follows, and that's how the horse is guided or directed, all right? Number two, he says the tongue is like a rudder on a great ship that's driven by fierce winds, and yet the rudder 
is able to direct the course of the ship wherever the governor or the captain listeth or chooses. Now, what does the rudder have to do with the bit? And believe it or not, a lot. Because first of all, both are very small in comparison to uh, the things that they are instrumental in directing. The rudder is very small compared to the large ship, outside forces acting on the ship, and yet when the governor turns the wheel of the ship, which in turn turns the rudder underneath the ship, the water that was passing on either side of the rudder uh, smoothly When the rudder turns, guess what it begins to apply? Pressure, right? Pressure. Am I boring you? I don't want to bore you. Begins to apply pressure. And as pressure is being applied to the passing water, the ship in turn begins to change direction or change course. So, bid is small, horse is large. Rudder is small, ship is large. Both are instrumental in directing the course of both the, uh, the animal, the horse, as well as the ship. And it is a course that is determined by the captain or the rider applying pressure. Applying pressure. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's say that the, uh, the horse rider pulls on the right side of the rein and applies the pressure, but immediately lets off. Well, the horse may go that way for a minute, but when he lets off, he's going to just go right back into a straight-ahead position. In the uh, older days of ships, obviously we've got modern bow thrusters and all those kinds of things now, but if you've ever noticed that a, a large... First of all, the ship's wheel was very large because you sometimes the captain would have to really apply a lot of pressure. And then there were handles on the ship, so again, for him to be able to grip it. But also, if he pulled that wheel in the position to change the ship's course, he would sometimes then tie the wheel to something stationary with a rope to keep it from springing right back in to alignment with the course that it was originally traveling. Yes? So, you know, he puts pressure on the rudder, but if he lets off the wheel, the the water's just going to pull the rudder right back into alignment, and it's going to continue to go, and the course will be altered very little, if at all. Amen? Now, why are we spending so much time here? We're spending so much time here because he's saying that your tongue in the same way is very small compared to the overall course of, of your life and, and, and everything else that's, that's going on in you and around you. But yet he says that you can use your tongue, the words that you speak, to apply pressure to things around you to literally change the course that your life is traveling on. Man, I don't, I, I'm not trying to hype this, but I'm just telling you, uh, I, w- I would have paid a lot of money many, many years ago if somebody explained this to me. Because it, it, it didn't, it, it, I, I didn't know these things, didn't understand these things. 
And the devil is banking on you. Remember when I told you when we first started this, I think last week, week before, and we started talking a little bit about our words, that of all the different subjects that I've taught on over the years, this one perhaps more than, even more than when I teach on money, this has been the one that has been the, the most um, resisted by people. This is the one that I've received the most negative feedback from. This has been the one that, that more people have tried to write off and dismiss. Man, there are entire books uh, that have been written against trying to, to make fun of, make light of, and, and, and somehow do away with this teaching, this doctrine. A doctrine is a system of teaching that we find in the Word of God. And it's because the devil never wants you to know this. He wants to continue to influence the words that come out of your mouth because the devil knows that as long as he can influence what you say, he can influence the course that your life follows. The ship is not changing course unless the rudder changes position. The horse is not changing course unless the bit changes position. And when the bit changes position, it, it, it applies pressure. When the rudder changes position, it applies pressure. And so what, what are we saying then? You can't just say once or twice, I'm free, and expect everything in your life to line up with that. You've got to begin to apply pressure. And you apply pressure, right, by saying I'm free when it doesn't seem like I am. It doesn't look like I am. It doesn't feel like I am. You begin to say I'm righteous when there's all kinds of evidence in your life that says you're not righteous. But what are we doing? We're applying pressure to the circumstances. What are we saying to these things? We're saying what God said to these things. We're saying what God says about these things. And we're using the rudder of our lives to change and redirect the course of our lives. Mm -mm -mm. Praise the name of the living God. Yes, no, maybe. Oh, I hope you're hearing this. All right. Now, thank you, Jesus. What time we got? 6.08. Let's... Um, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. All right. Let's, um, let's go to John chapter 14. Now, I want to ask you a question. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put the question on the screen here. Given the importance of our words, does it not make sense that the Holy Spirit our helper would like to help us with our words. <laughs> do, you, do you see this, right? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do it fast. We've already done this twice that I'm aware of. I think at least twice. Um, anybody remember this list? Death and life hinge on the words we speak. Blessing or cursing is chosen by the words we speak. Salvation is received by the words we speak. We are justified or condemned by the words we speak. We will give an account for every idle word we speak. The course our life follows is determined by the words we speak. Thoughts are accepted or rejected by the words we speak. Mountains or obstacles are moved out of our way by the words we speak. What will we say to these things? Receiving from God involves the words we speak. Temptations are overcome by the words we speak. What is bound in heaven is bound on the earth by the words we speak. What is allowed in heaven is allowed on the earth by the words we speak. Threats in our environment are altered or even done away with by the words we speak. 
the riches of our Father's kingdom become a reality in our lives by the words we speak. Inward realities of the new birth become outward expressions of life by the, by the words we speak. Okay, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. So again, given the importance of our words, does it not make sense that the Holy Spirit, our helper, would like to help us with our words? Okay? Now, when we say the Holy Spirit helping us with our words, I believe that you will never understand, first of all, you'll never understand the importance and power of prayer until you understand the importance and power of words. Are you starting to see now why prayer is such a big deal? What you say to the things in your life is such a big deal. Speaking the Word of God directly to problems and issues in your life is such a, is such a huge, uh, impactful part of how God created us to function and walk in victory. And uh, remember, as long as the heir is a child, he differs nothing from a slave, though he be Lord of all. You were created by God, recreated in Christ Jesus, to rule and reign in life. Amen. Amen. How do we rule and reign in life if we're still ignorant, immature, and unable to speak on our own behalf? So you'll never understand the importance and power of prayer until you understand the importance and power of words. And the same is true when it comes to speaking and praying in an unknown tongue. Praying and speaking in an unknown tongue. Well, this is, a, this is another one of those things that we see in the Scriptures that uh, Satan has tried desperately to steal from the body of Christ. Desperately tried to remove from the body of Christ. Because the devil doesn't want the Holy Spirit helping you with your words. Your English words or whatever language you may speak, that known language you may speak. And he certainly doesn't want the Holy Spirit helping you speak in a heavenly language as he gives you utterance. Think about it for a moment now. For too long, the body of Christ has considered the baptism of the Holy Spirit for fanatics only or for them Pentecostals only or, 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 or charismatics or charismaniacs only. No, no, no. That's, listen to me. Jesus came to do two things for you. According to the greatest prophet born of a woman, the whole, Jesus, the Holy Spirit through John the Baptist said that Jesus came to take away your sin and to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And I'm offering to you that the first thing that He came to do for you was so that the second could be a possibility for you. In other words, if you don't let Him take away your sin, it would be impossible for you to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God. He must take away your sin in order to be able to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's not that salvation isn't important, but also we have to remember though that salvation then becomes a means to the greater end of God filling you and me with His Holy Spirit. Let's look at it. John 14. You getting nervous? Don't get nervous, okay? We're not going to make you pray in tongues before you leave tonight or anything like that. Just stay, just stay with us, okay? Amen? Amen? Can I sow some things into your life and heart? Yes? Okay. All right. Full disclosure, 
I was raised in a church that told me that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was for the, was for the early church and that it, it was no longer a valid experience for believers today, that you received all the Holy Spirit that anybody could ever receive the day you were saved, and that if you spoke in tongues in modern day church, that it was of the devil that, that people didn't do that anymore. Well, they were lying to me, okay? They were wrong. Now, I say they're lying because I get a little irritated about that, but they were wrong. Amen. And when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old, I learned something uh, that has been with me ever since, uh, among other things. I learned that an experience beats an argument. And there were a lot of people who had an argument against what I experienced. And when I experienced what I experienced, I know what I experienced. Amen? Now, this is what Jesus, came, this is what Jesus said about it. He says, And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper. Another meaning like you, in order for you to be another, there has to be a first, right? Who's our first helper? Who's our first advocate? Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, I've asked the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because they can't receive because they haven't been born again, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And will be in you. Now, think about what he's saying there. He says he dwells with you. So the Holy Spirit was with them because he was, he was a given to Jesus without measure. But there were some things that could not take place until the cross and the resurrection, which made basically open the door, right? You have to be born again to enter the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is with you now, but there's coming a day when He will be in you. We live in the day where He is in us. Amen? Now, let's jump ahead to, uh, to John uh, chapter 16 and verse number 7. In John 16 and 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is, this is like another most assuredly. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Now, th this is a, a different kind of nevertheless, or a different kind of most assuredly. But nonetheless, is one that um, a lot of people have a hard time wrapping th their minds around. But let me just break it down for you. What Jesus is saying to His disciples first and then to you and me second is that we're actually in a better position with Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit on the earth than we would be if the Holy Spirit was in heaven and Jesus was still on the earth in human form. I don't know about you, but I, you know, especially when I was a kid, man, I used to think about how cool it would be to, to be alive when Jesus was on the earth. Am I the only one? Man, to, to be alive. And, I, and listen, I think we do videos and, and, and family photos and these kinds of things. I believe we get that from our Heavenly Father. We know, for example, in the book of Malachi, that um, anytime a people get together and talk about Him, it's recorded in a book. In other words, if you think we do keepsakes... God the Father is emotionally connected to us, and He does keepsakes. And I, and I believe, and I, and I just know in my heart, you don't have to believe this, go to heaven, but I believe that the entire life of Jesus is going to be there available for us to, to watch, recorded. Amen. If Jesus has, let me give you some idea. If heaven has written down every name of every person in this room, recorded in heaven, what we're doing right here, right now together, okay? And every word that's spoken in this room, if, that's, if that is so precious to our Heavenly Father, then you, you can never convince me that Him raising Lazarus from the dead isn't available for us to watch. 
for, for the whale spit, or the great fish spitting Jonah out on the beach is available for us to watch, right? Amen. I mean, we even try to recreate these things uh, with, with, with our own technology and, and things that we've, we've developed, all right? And so um, I don't know what got me carried off on down that road there, but, but you know, when Jesus says to them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. You, you've, you've got to think, you know, for a moment where these disciples were. They had walked away from their businesses. They'd walked away from, uh, you know, so many things to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus. And now Jesus is telling them two things. He's, oh, I know where I got to that. It's because being alive when Jesus was, was on the earth. So I believe we'll be able to witness all. I, I believe heaven's got something better than digital. Amen. I don't, I mean, I don't know what that would be, but <laughs> praise God. Uh, their technology has to be better than ours, and we got digital. Amen. So, but... Uh, <laughs> Excuse me for taking this rabbit trail. Um, we've been uh, uh, watching uh, with our young adults uh, some of the chosen uh, on uh, on Monday nights together, and and just to see Jesus with a group of kids, and to see Jesus, you know, portrayed in, in to me such an anointed and and realistic uh, way uh, has just added a whole new dimension, uh, you know, to to these things for me. But but man, we're not going to see something Hollywood produced. We're going to see the real thing as it went down. Uh, uh, one day, but but I often thought, you know, how cool would it be, you know, to be alive when Jesus was on the earth, and yet Jesus Himself is saying that you and me, we're in a better position, in a more advantageous position, with Him in heaven interceding for us there, and the Holy Spirit on the earth in us advocating for us here. I don't know about you, but we need every advantage we can get, do we not? And I think it's cool that Jesus used this word, it's to your advantage. He's telling them, he's, look, guys, I'm leaving, but you're going to be better off without me here. And you're like, what in the world? How could this ever be? I'm, I would imagine they're looking at him like, there's no way, Jesus. How would we ever be any better off than we are right now if you're, if you're not with us? But Jesus was telling us the truth. Amen? Amen? So we need every advantage we can get. Let's talk for a minute about these different words. Holy Spirit, sometimes we see the word comforter. And other times we see uh, the word helper. And other times we see the word Holy Ghost. And, and so uh, I, you will hear me use all of these. I sometimes um, shy away from comforter, not because it's um, a bad word or a wrong word, but in, in our common day understanding and usage of that, it's, it's a bit misleading in the sense that it, limited, it limits us in, in, in really what the Holy Spirit's come to do for us. Because we think of a comforter as, as someone like you, you've had uh, uh, you know, maybe a death in your family and you need to be comforted. And, but the Holy Spirit and what He's come to do for us is so much more than our limited understanding of a modern day meaning of the word comfort. Okay? But the original word in the Greek language is the word paraclete. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. And it literally means another one just like Jesus called alongside to help you. Another one just like Jesus called alongside to help you. Amen. So we have one like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who's been called alongside us, sent to us, amen, from the Father. And He is with us to help us. This means we have an advocate and a helper in heaven, and we have another advocate and helper here on the earth with us. Jesus advocating and helping us in heaven, the Holy Spirit advocating for us and helping us here on the earth. Now, when I 
talk to people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've done this for so many years that I've learned to anticipate some of the things that, that people uh, think or have even said to me out of the abundance of the heart, right? The mouth speaks over the years. And, um, and so it's amazing to me how people get defensive that, you know, we start talking about this. He doesn't think I'm as good a Christian as he is. He doesn't think I'm this. So listen, just, you know, get, you know, let's tell the devil to get on out of here, okay? Because that's, we ain't got no time for that, okay? And inevitably, you know, someone would ask, and so I'm anticipating the question, you know, I thought we received the Holy Spirit when we were born again. And the answer is you're absolutely correct. No man calls him Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And when you are born again, God doesn't refurbish the spirit that was in you before you were saved. He buries that person in an unmarked grave and he puts a new spirit in you. And then your brand new spirit and God's Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in you at that moment become one spirit. So me and God aren't just like this, okay? Me and God are just like this. We've, we've become one. And if you've been born again, you have become one with God. Amen. Now, the question then becomes, well, so I've already received the Holy Spirit through salvation. So does that mean I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And biblically, the answer is no, you have not been. And here is one statement that really, really has helped me, uh, you know, allay some of the questions and concerns and, and defensiveness over the years. And it's this statement here. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. Amen. And so when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said it would be like rivers of living water flowing from your innermost being. So the Holy Spirit who is already in you as a born-again man or woman flows up in you to overflowing and then literally comes upon you uh, outwardly. Amen. And I know that you know we sometimes look at what happened when the first bunch was baptized in the Holy Spirit and we think that you know every... Uh, person after that has to have the identical experience. And we see in the book of Acts that that is, that is not the case. That the initial outpouring, amen, and the cloven tongues of fire, uh, and by the way, we mentioned the tongue of fire a moment ago that, that the Holy Spirit wants you to yield your tongue to Him. Think about what that means now in light of what we've learned about the power of our tongues, the power of our words. That when we yield our tongue to the Holy Spirit speaking out of our mouths as He gives us unknown language to speak with, right? That we are yielding what is in essence the rudder or the bit or the steering wheel, we might say, of our lives to Him. Okay, so let's go through some of these verses. All right, Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, this is Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Now promise of the Father is referring to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still waiting for him to take an earthly throne. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Come on now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is Jesus telling them about it and inviting them. Now it's kind of sad to me of all the thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that Jesus healed, ministered to, delivered, touched, taught, somehow changed their life over the course of his three-year public ministry, that when it all boiled down to it, only 120 were willing to get a babysitter or take off work to go to the upper room and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm thankful for that 120, but man, if you consider... Just the, the, the tens of thousands of people that were there the day Jesus fed mass, mass numbers of people with a little lunch or a small handful of food. Um, but nonetheless. So on Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Let's talk about why it's Pentecost, okay? Jesus was crucified on Passover 50 days after Passover was Pentecost, Pente being 50. So Pentecost was a, a feast uh, of the, the Jews, uh, and it was 50 days from Passover, and Jesus was crucified on Passover, and then uh, we see the Holy Spirit was poured out on the feast or the day of Pentecost. So when someone who believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and operates in the gifts of the Spirit today is referred to as a Pentecostal, it just simply means that they believe in the baptism of and the fullness of God's Spirit. Okay, And he says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? Now, the one thing that I did not mention a moment ago that I want to mention now is that he didn't, it wasn't just a, uh, a tongue of fire, but it was a cloven, or in this case, divided tongue of fire. And the root of this goes all the way back to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And one of the things that, he, that we see is that if the animal had a cloven hoof, okay, then uh, it could be eaten. But if it had a different shape foot, um, it was not considered clean. So cloven or divided as it's translated here in the New King James Version. Am I going too fast for you? Okay, I'm trying to get all this covered before we're out of time tonight. Okay, amen. Woohoo! All right, so praise God. All right, I get on a roll here, right? So, so it, it represented purity. It represented cleanliness. It represented something that was pure and clean. So it was a forked, not, we think forked tongue as being something evil or wicked, but cloven, divided, um, not forked, not talking out of both sides of your mouth, but, but clean, pure, purified, uh, tongue of fire set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Now, this is one of the most important things, and sadly, one of the key things that a lot of people overlook when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in an unknown tongue, then you know, amen, already, that it's going to be your vocal cords, it's going to be your tongue, it's going to be breath in your lungs. Amen. It's going to be your mouth and your lips that actually speak, okay, the words that the Holy Spirit gives you to speak. Amen. 
So this is not about God knocking you down and taking control over you and you falling into some trance and none of that, okay? It's you cooperating together with God's Spirit, Him covering you with the shadow of His hand, Him putting His words in your mouth so that He may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say in design, Thou art my people. Now we know the written word of God that we have are the words of God. But this to me is also speaking directly to Isaiah 51 and 16. God covering them with the shadow of His hand, putting His words in in their mouths, and then them speaking those words, planting the heavens as God through the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 16. But this was spoken by the prophet Joel. So we see now that there's explanation being given as to what's actually being witnessed. Okay, This, was what, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in these last days, that says God, that I will pour out my spirit on some flesh. Is that what it says? On a few select folks. Is that what it says? On those who've been called to do the work of the ministry, or those, well, that would be accurate there. On those who are called to be a prophet, or those who, no, no. On all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Now, I want you to hear this the way that a, 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 a faithful Jew a Jew who served and loved God would have heard this because they were familiar with God's Spirit being upon a person. But we see that God's Spirit was given to uh, men and even some women in the Old Testament by measure or by portion. For example, Elijah had a measure of God's Spirit upon him that empowered him to operate and perform uh, his assignments as one set apart by God as a prophet uh, speaking on God's behalf to God's people. And we see that the Spirit of God upon him would empower him to perform supernatural signs and wonders, also known as miracles. Amen. And then comes Elisha, who asked for what? A double portion, a double measure of the same anointing of God's Spirit that was upon Elijah to be upon him. Amen. But we see when Jesus comes along, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was given to him without measure. So they understood that just a, I'm being silly here, but just a ladleful of God's Spirit poured upon a person could empower them to kill armies with the donkey's jawbone, to outrun chariots, to uh, call axe heads out of the water. I mean, they understood that that God's Spirit upon a person would give power to that person. But now Joel prophesied this, this amazing prophecy that God's Spirit would not be given by measure or by portion, but be poured out. And not just upon a select group of people who occupied the office of a king, priest, or prophet, but that His Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, young and old, sons and daughters, even slaves or servants would uh, uh, receive this outpouring of God's Spirit. Wow. And so notice what he says, And I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> now, these are the days that we live in and we know that these are 
things that Jesus said, we would begin to see perilous times as the end draws near. So we know that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the earth now some, what, 2,000 years ago plus, that, that we were near the end, amen? And so praise God, uh, that means we are nearer now uh, than we were then, all right? So now let's jump to Acts chapter 2 and same, I'm just, there's all kinds of stuff here, but I'm just trying to get you some key points. So then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All right? So anybody who tries to tell you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by the way, notice he says that this is the promise, the promise, the promise. Not just the promise of salvation, the promise of the Father as we see in Scripture is what Joel prophesied, that His Spirit would be poured out upon God's people. Amen. Now, again, back to this question. Don't you receive the Holy Spirit when you are saved? And the answer is yes. But look at what happened in John chapter 20 and verse number 22. And when he had said this, Jesus, when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you understand what's happened here, John chapter 20 and verse, tell me if I'm boring you. Are you okay? Am I going too fast? Amen. I can slow down and we just do some more this next week, but I'm just, there's, oh, praise God. I'm, I'm jazzed about this. All right, let me just stay focused. All right. So what's happened here? Jesus is raised from the dead. And they've heard word that he's alive, and some of them don't believe it, and they're not sure about it, and, and they're, they're hiding in, in fear that they're going to be next to be executed. And, and then Jesus appears uh, to them, and he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you what just happened? The disciples just got saved. The disciples were born again. What's got to happen for somebody to be born again? You've got to believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and you've got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God has raised Him from the dead. Well, they already believed He was the Son of God, but you can't believe He was raised from the dead until He's actually raised from the dead. And now they're seeing Him, and they believe in their heart that He's raised from the dead. And when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, this was when the Holy Spirit did in their hearts and in the depths of their being the work of salvation. Okay, but they will not be baptized in the Holy Spirit for another, let's just say, 47 days. And we don't know the exact calendar, but amen, because the day of Pentecost, right? He, 50, so we've got three days, Jesus raised from the dead, so it's going to be 47 days. 47 plus 3 is 50. They're born again, but 47 days later is when the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out and they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, the next thing I want to show you is just a couple of cases where people have already been born again, but have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see this in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So, so I thought you received the Holy Spirit when you believe. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit's work at salvation. He's talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism, which again is a baptism of repentance. Then said 
uh, Paul, John verily baptized the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So baptized in water, right? And then guess what happened? And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. All right, so did you see what just happened here? All right, these folks were believers. They had heard John's message of repentance. They had gone that far. Paul filled in some blanks. They believed in the Lord Jesus, were baptized in His name, and this, again, they're born again. And then what does he do? He lays hands on them, and this is when the uh, Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Again, your tongue is the rudder. Surrendering your tongue to the Holy Spirit is equal to surrendering the steering component of your life over to Him. Amen. All right, let's try to get one more in, and then we'll jump back here next week, okay? Is everybody good? Yes. All right. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. He says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, let me give you um, the King James Version has it infirmities. And what he's literally talking about here, a weakness or an infirmity, is our inability to get results. Okay? So there's some result that we desire that's God's plan and purpose in our lives. And for whatever reason, we're not making the connection. We're not getting the, the desire. We're not experiencing the result. So weakness or infirmity, again, is an inability to get results. So let's read it again. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps, because He's a helper, right? In our inability to get results. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Right? So think about what He's saying right here. This is important. It's important. He's saying we need results that we're not getting because we don't know the prayer to pray that's necessary to get those results. Can I simplify it? We don't know the words to speak. There are all kinds of things in the Bible God's very clear about, right? Do this, don't do this. Go there, don't go there. Have this, don't have that. But then you've got these questions like, should I marry this person or not? Should I take this job or that job? Should I go to this school or that school? You, you can't look it up, you know, it's not in the book of Hezekiah. There's no book of Hezekiah, don't look for that, right? I'm just being silly. To, to find those answers, it's where we've got to be led by God's Spirit. So we find ourselves where we're in this, in this position to where we need breakthrough, we need answers, we need results, and, and, and we're, we're seemingly unable to get those results. And so he's saying that we're not getting the results that we need because we don't know what prayer we should pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit, what does He do? He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. One translation says words which can't be spoken in articulate speech. Now, He, listen to this, verse 27, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You may not know God's specific will for some situation in your life, but guess who does? Your helper, your, 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 your 
other helper. You're another helper. Amen. You're the paraclete, another one just like Jesus called alongside to help you. He knows God's plan. He knows God's will. He knows God's purposes in every situation. When you're at a crossroads and you don't know whether to go right, go left, or keep going straight, the Holy Spirit knows. He knows. And what directs the course of our lives? The words that we speak. Amen? And so we don't know what to, should we pray that we do this? I don't know whether to pray for this or against it. I don't know whether to say, you know, so obviously we've got these, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got uh, open the doors that need to be open, close the doors that need to be closed. Those are good prayers. I'm not making light of those, right? But in this situation, when it comes to the will of God for your life, the Holy Spirit knows it. And if you will yield your tongue to him and be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he will speak and pray the perfect will of God for your life through you with languages and words that you don't know or understand with your human brain. What an advantage. It amazes me that people don't, aren't interested or, or you know... The Holy Spirit praying through you, making intercession for you according to the will of God. What an advantage. What an advantage. It is, I mean no disrespect, people say game, it's not a game changer. It is a life changer. You find yourself in a situation. I cannot tell you the number of things. I know this may sound so simple. The number of things, I can't find my keys, I can't find this, I can't find that. I've learned over the years, steal myself. Do not refuse stress. Do not let my heart be troubled. As I begin to search again for whatever that thing is, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit and He will lead me straight to it. Because what I'm saying out of my mouth, He knows where it is. I don't know where it is. He knows where it is. I start speaking those words out of my mouth and He, he will guide me straight to where that thing is. I, more times than I can count that that's happened in my life. And I'm not trying to trivialize so much more than that. But I'm trying to give you some practical understanding of what we're talking about here now okay so getting the results that we need requires prayer and accurate effective prayer means praying accurate effective words which pr please pray in english pray in english let me let me i'm gonna stop right here and I, i'm just gonna say this okay for those of you who still aren't sure about all this would you at least be open? And, and this was a simple prayer. When I wasn't sure about all this myself, having been taught for years that it was not for today and it was not for me, we were actually taught that if you spoke in tongues, you were of the devil, okay, and the church I was raised in. But somebody said, well, let me ask you this, Mark. Would, if, if, if it's something that God has for you, are you interested in it? Do you want everything he has for you? And my answer to that question was absolutely yes. I want, I desire, I hunger for everything that God desires for me that he wants me to have. Amen. Can we agree on that before we say uh, amen to this class? Okay. And so ask the Lord about it. Begin to talk to him about it. Begin to ask him. Begin to thank him. Begin to say, Lord, I, I, I fill me with the Holy Spirit. You can have people lay hands on you. You, you don't have to have somebody lay hands on you. And as you begin to feel pressure in your, some of you have already felt that. Some of you feel that in your, during this class at times where the Holy Spirit is moving and stirring so powerfully inside of you that it almost feels like, you know, amen. Speak, speak it out and refuse to speak English by faith. Amen. You received, you received salvation by faith. You begin to speak that out by faith. 
And I'm telling you, it'll be like a, a dam bursting. Oh, my God. When my brother was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was, I want to say, 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. Um, it's a long story we ain't got time for right now. But he prayed and sang and spoke in unknown tongues for hours. Hours, I'm just telling you. Um, he'd come in late on a Sunday night, and me and my sister were already in bed, and he wanted to talk to my mom and dad, and he had been getting into some stuff and a little rebellion here and there, and he was convicted about it, and he began to talk to them, and he said, I want to live for Jesus, but I don't think I can. don't have the power. don't have the ability to do it. And of course, mom and dad began to explain to him, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they began to pray with him, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, it got loud. And we, me and my sister slipped down. We were sitting in the living room on the bottom step. They were in the den to the left. They didn't know we were sitting there. We sat there for, I don't know, an hour or two. And finally, my mom said to my dad, this is so amazing. We probably ought to wake Mark and Meredith up to come and, and see this and hear this. And I'm like, looked around the corner. I'm like, we, we're here. You know? we, we didn't want to get sent back to bed, you know. Um, but you see, there were things that needed to be spoken over and about his life. Amen. See, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you pray out, among other things, you pray out your future. The answer has to be spoken. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We could talk about these things for another two hours, but well, we got other assignments this evening. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're challenging us and stirring us. Father, there are folks right now that it, it's, it's like not a bad weight, Father, but there's, there's a heaviness on them right now from your Holy Spirit. The, weight, the weightiness is a better way of saying it, Father, of, of, a, of a hunger and a desire, Lord, to take these next steps of, of yielding to and receiving from uh, this wonderful gift that Jesus came and paid such a high price for us to have and experience. To our advantage, you said, Jesus, it would be better off if you're in heaven and we're here on the earth with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, flowing, filling us to overflowing. Thank you, Father, for your love. Lord, I thank you that Satan will not steal this word from us and he will not confuse or twist and, and somehow make someone feel less than. Because, Father, that's not the case. But this is, a, this is an advantage that we have with a capital A that I desire every person in this room to pursue and to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, know that you're loved. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, good things coming. I'll see some of you on Sunday, uh, others on Monday.